streets till I got outside Wondering what the world be like I knew I had to change my mind Didn't realize it would happen oh so soon Oh so soon But I see the world so different now But there's a place by the sea and that's my town When I don't know what to say When I don't know what to do There's a room I need to sit in Surrounded by my favorite view and I need it Independence comes with a price Questioning your own advice But I know I'll be alright With an open door No matter what I do What I do But I see the world so different now But there's a place by the sea Folks, and welcome to the Mondays with Millie podcast. My name is Phil. Um, I'm just about to give Millie a call to find out what she's been up to. Um, she's actually got her eldest son, Paul, visiting her this week, so I thought I'd take the opportunity to chat to both of them. Um, there's also a bit of an exciting project that Millie's been involved in, and we're going to have a bit of a chat about that as well. So let's give Millie a call and see what she's been up to. Hello. How are you? Um, I'm really good, thanks, mate. Uh, you're, good. you're um, 
I, was, I thought I was looking at Millie there for a moment. I thought she'd had a bit of an extreme haircut. But that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh, I know that's a bit cheeky, but and I only say that because and welcome everybody to the Mondays with Millie podcast. But um, Paul and I were having a bit of a chat on Facetime yesterday, and he was um, uh, telling us a story of a haircut that he had where. His uh, wonderful partner Sylvia had um, mixed up the the normal. What is it you normally have? A number one. Number one, yeah. A number one, and I think she'd gone extreme, minus four or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> it felt like it. Well, my it my. Felt like the first felt the first layer of the epiderm was gone as well. <laughs> well, um, my brother-in-law Daryl always says. <clears throat> That the uh, the difference between a good haircut and a bad haircut is about a week and a half. So um, so you haven't <laughs> you haven't got much um, much time to wait. Um, so I uh, I'm just going to welcome everybody to the Mondays with Millie podcast. And and of course, as I said in the intro, I've got um, the wonderful Paul with us today, who's visiting from Scotland, who's down for a few days, and we've got the ever present Millie, who's um, with us as well. How are you, Hello. Millie? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yes, we've just been to the garden centre, uh, but it's a, a bit warm, you know, a bit too warm for me. Well, we're a bit too warm. We're talking about the weather. It's been pretty warm, <laughs> but were were you saying it's going to be forty degrees on the weekend? Yes, on Sunday. So they say the men who who are supposed to know the experts. Now, forty degrees is something we would consider pretty hot and those people who are in uh the northern hemisphere um that's about what is it paul in fahrenheit about a hundred and well it's going to be it's going to be something like uh in the high 80s early 90s i would think oh it'd be higher than that i reckon it'd almost no, be 100 degrees wouldn't it 40 degrees yeah be pretty close yeah. And that's, that's hot. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It gets to a point where the numbers don't matter anymore because it's just that's, hot. That's, that's <laughs> absolutely right. Who, care, who cares what number it is no. when, when, you're, when you're melting? That's right. What we were saying as well, when, when we were living in London all those years ago, 20, 27, 28 degrees on the tube in London, it may as well be 40 degrees because it's horrible. It was just oppressive and yeah not very pleasant um no. but um so the weather's pretty warm and you've been to the garden center what have you been doing there uh, just getting some solar lights and uh something nice just nice smelly to take home when i go home to sylvia as a little present now kirsten was showing me a bit of a video that you made yesterday paul um, you've you've got a bit of a hobby now. You've you've transformed your house in in um, Kilmeny in Scotland, and you've um, you've ta- you found a new passion apart from your dogs. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm becoming a prepper. <laughs> <laughs> I've, st- I've, st- I've started growing my own veg. Is this for when um, the apocalypse comes? Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Right. Yeah. This is this is, <laughs> this is for when um, he's going to buy a barbecue. As when well. when Scotland goes independent. 
Oh, I see. Right uh, now, we don't we don't get overly political on this program, Paul. So this is this is not a soapbox for you to stand on. This but... is this is this, this. The whole point is, I'm not I'm not political. That's that's why I'm growing my own veg. Well, that, that's right. Now, is this shades of um, the Good Life? That uh, British yeah, TV yeah, show from the nineteen seventies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was um, that was a, a, a regular program uh, for us when we were when we were kids growing up. It's, uh, it's, in fact, it's still a classic now. It it's is a classic. We I remember yeah. watching it growing up as well in the 70s and it's funny yeah. Kirsten and I were talking about that program only recently and we were saying that um, those people um, now I remember Felicity what was her name Kendall Kendall, yeah, Felicity Kendall yeah. and Richard Briers I think I got That's their right. names right so yeah. they were considered their characters were pretty nutty and out very out there for growing their yeah. own vegetables that's right. And now it's yeah. a very yeah. common thing. We grow a lot of our own vegetables in the backyard. Um, lettuce is really yeah. expensive, so we're growing a, a bit of lettuce and kale and stuff at the moment, and that's yeah. that's saving us a fair bit of money. So what are you growing in your garden? Where do you start? Um, I've got potatoes. I've got um, cabbage. I've got broccoli. I've got... Um, Spinach, I've got tomatoes and don't uh, keep saying I've got and <laughs> celery and celery and what else is there? Uh, oh, beans! I've got loads of beans. Potatoes. So I've already said potatoes. Sorry. Don't keep butting in. <laughs> <laughs> no, no respect. No well, this is the banter that goes on um, <laughs> when Paul comes and visits. Is that right? You're pretty close. Um, yeah. So we Paul, have, but we we spend most of the time laughing. So Paul, Paul, are you? Where did you get this? You know, when did this spark ignite? When when did you become inspired? Was it was it a cost of living decision? Was it a change of lifestyle decision? Was it a Eating con consumption decision. What was it? To be honest, if I was if I was being really really truthful, it was a it was a spiritual thing. Um, I wanted to feel more connected to what I was eating. I wanted to I wanted to feel that. Um, That's his version of spiritual connected to what he's eating. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. It's, sorry, uh, sorry. It doesn't even. No, well, that's that's taking a different line because that's how I feel about where the way I work as well. Well, um, you are you are by your own definition a very spiritual person. Um, yeah, and this this is no surprise to me that you would want to connect in in a way of you know your eating and, and you know what what you put in your body and all of those sorts of things so yeah did was it was it a was it a a conversation you had with one of the people in your dog training classes that kind of spurred you into action or was it just you woke up one day and thought 
I think I, I want to do this. <coughs> I, well, I, it wasn't about waking up one day. I was actually um, in a supermarket and I was picking up um, some veg, so-called so -called veg at the supermarket. Um, and then I saw that it had come from Nigeria. And I thought, I live in Scotland and I'm picking up a lettuce that has come from Nigeria. That makes no sense to me. Um, mm. And I suddenly thought, why, why, am I, why am I buying things from all the way across the world when I've got a garden that actually is sitting there, for want of a better word, idle. Um, it just sitting there and something to look at rather than something that was working. And then when I, when I, I sort of had that thought process going on in my head and I went home and started talking to Sylvia about it and, and she said, well, how much time have you got to uh, spend in the garden? I said, well, I don't know, really. I said, because of the, the commitments to the dogs and everything. And uh, she said, uh, well, to, if we're going to benefit from it, health-wise, and we're going to benefit from it financially, then we just make it happen. And so that's what we've done between us. That's what we've done. Mm. And and, it, and it's gone on from there. And, it, and I, I remember what I said about the spiritual side of it. It's, um, it's important to me to be connected to the things that I work with and, and the things that I, that, that I, yeah, that I do put in my body. I, I, want, to, I want to feel as though that I've earned them. If you know what I mean. Oh. You know, yeah. Paul's always made life changes, big life changes, overnight. And you think that's the spur of the moment, but that's how he does things. He stopped smoking after smoking for years. He just woke up one morning and just said, I'm not going to smoke anymore. <laughs> that's the way he does things. Yeah, but there's, there's, not, there's not a small amount of thought that goes into those decisions, is there? I mean, you, you're very considered in your choices and you make very yeah. considered decisions, yeah. right? Um, I think it's wonderful, right? So your point to your point about food miles, right? It's a huge yeah. issue. All of these foods that we're, we're getting, you know, we're paying less <coughs> for food that's travelled further, that's froze, that's snap frozen and put in freezers. Yeah. Um, when we've got... These, this arable land that we can, you know, propagate stuff from and, and we can grow our own vegetables. So there's just so much health benefit from it and and it's so much more sustainable. Kirsten absolutely loves getting in the garden. She is, I think you and her were talking last night on FaceTime about um, yeah. talking to your vegetables. It's actually a really healthy thing to be, to be sort of really engaged in that way. You do chat to your vegetables. Do you hum? Do you sing to them? All, all, I, I, all I do. I, 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 well, I, I, I don't. I don't sing in public. Let's put it that way. But, <laughs> but, and there's and there's a reason for that. <laughs> well, when you're singing to vegetables and plants, they can't run away. I think that's probably exactly, part of it. Right? Exactly. It's, it's it's a captured audience. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, but I do. I do actually. I do. I do an awful lot of. Uh, I use a lot of Reiki with all with all my plants as well. I do a lot of Reiki healing, so I use I use Reiki energy with it as well. So yeah, 
Millie, do you have, did you have times in your life where you dabbled? I know you've always liked getting out into the garden and sort of, you know, having a, having a little sort of dabble here and there, but have, did you ever go down the veggies route? Funny enough, you know, I'm going to interrupt here. We just, you just, we just had a conversation about back in the sixties when, um, just prior to my mum marrying marrying my dad John, um, my cousin Adrian uh, was a little girl and she was sat in the garden. My mum had previously that week laid a lawn on the front garden of the house we were in and put some nice border flowers into the border and she came home from work to find Adrian sat in the front garden on her new lawn with three of her friends and a pair of scissors. These and were she, three, three and four year olds. And she'd cut all the, all the heads off the flowers and were making poses. <laughs> so, <laughs> talk, talking about how she was going to be a bridesmaid at the forthcoming wedding. <laughs> so, so was that so, a bit of a so turning point a for you, Millie? You went, I'm well, not, not bothering with well, this anymore. I was cross at first, yes, I was very cross at first. I didn't, I was too cross to say anything in front of these little girls. So I went in the house, my father was there, and I said, um, they've, they've, they've cut the heads off all my flowers. And he went, oh dear, she did come in and ask for a little scissors. She had these toy scissors, you know. I went, right, well, that's what they've done with them. I said, and by the way, she's just invited herself to be a bridesmaid. She's told these little girls she's going to have feathers in her hair and she's going to be a bridesmaid and she's going to have a gold dress. So I've got a week to sort this out. <laughs> now, Adrian, if you are listening, we'd like, <laughs> like, like, I'd like to know if, if you've got any sort of guilt or, or any memory whatsoever uh, over the um, flower gate at uh, which, which which house was it? That was my very first one in Bruff Avenue, Bispam. Ah, uh, the Bispam house. Yeah, right. okay. forty-five Bruff Avenue. Right. Yeah. And uh, and she did steal the show, of course, at my wedding because she looked absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Wearing the flowers <laughs> that she cut. No, not the... wearing those flowers. <laughs> But, and I said to her mother, well, because I'd made my dress and I'd made a mother's dress, just the two of us, you see. And uh, I said, well, you're going to have to go out and buy her a dress. It's got to be a gold dress. And I'll titivate it up, you know, make it look a bit special because I haven't time to make another dress. <laughs> so, wow. yes, we were just talking about it, weren't yeah. we, when, yeah, just, when you both? Yeah. Why? How did it we're come dead. up? How did it come up? Were you what? What were you thinking about? Well, we were just talking about about the podcast, and I was saying that we didn't do it every week now, of course, but we did it on special occasions, and that we did it for the um, for, for the jubilee. You see, so I was reminiscing and telling Paul that I actually remembered George the Fifth jubilee, mm. and. Uh, and everything. So that's how we started talking. Yeah, we started talking about, about kids and about yes. <clears throat> we, I, we used to run. Um, I used to run concerts <laughs> at, at the at Bluff Avenue and the in the garage. We used to do shows, and I would dress up as a clown. And there was three three sisters lived next door to us. It was I was 
absolutely infatuated with <laughs> as as a sort of nine ten year old. Um, but the, we all they all they all used to dress up and they used to do dancing and singing and I used to do I used to dress up as a clown and put face makeup on and things you like that. And I was the I was the com I used to introduce all the acts. And Michael yeah. uh, next door called my my nephew sister's son. Uh, that's Adrian's brother, same age as, as Paul. You see, and he he used to sing uh, "Little White Bull" was it? <laughs> Tommy Steele's, uh, who was a singer at the time, uh, had a song called Little White Bull. Um, <laughs> and it was all, all about this, this little white bull that wanted to be a big bull in the, in the, uh, yeah. in the bull ring. Once upon <laughs> a time there was a little white bull Very sad because he was a little white bull Little white bull all the black bulls called him a coward just because oh, he was I think white. I've, when I see Mick, I speak to Mick next time, I think I might remind him about that and see if he's, if he's, if he's going to admit, fess up to it, admit to it. He, I used might to sing, he used to sing it like he used to say, lickle, lick white bull, lick white bull. <laughs> and my father used to whisper to me, how many verses was that? Because he knew he had to sit to about 10 verses, you know. <laughs> excruciating for the adults isn't yeah. it you have to be yeah. encouraging but it is sometimes when little kids don't have that that sense of how long how, you know that's why they used to have the hook on the side of the stage you could put the hook around yeah. the neck and hook, drag hook them off. off yeah and no they it was supposed to be professional this show so they charged a halfpenny and lots of kids used to come but half of them did have a halfpenny and my dad used to stand at the back and they'd say have you got your halfpenny no so he had all these hatens in his pocket, which he used to dish out to them as they came in. <laughs> now, halfpenny would have been what? What? What was that? You know, a good half a penny. Right. Half a penny. Right. Yeah. So a halfpenny would would give you would buy you what at the shops in those days, Paul? I used to. You'd be able to get a, um, for a halfpenny. You could get a sherbet. You could get a yeah. sherbet, and you, or you could get um, four gobstoppers. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, that's worth that's worth something. It's worth yeah. putting on a show for. Yeah. They weren't silly, those kids. They knew what they were no. doing. <laughs> now, speaking of um, shows and special shows, now, Millie, this is, I've got some good, interesting news for you. So I've got an email from Kezi. Now, Kezi is uh, a lady who you were introduced to a few months ago. And That's correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Kezi is part of a project that is um, called Story Trails, I believe, and the Stories tra uh, Story Trails pro project, or part of the Story Trails project, is to capture um, people's social history and actually present it um, in different parts of the country using technology in very sort of interesting, innovative ways and interactive ways. And this weekend, Millie, they are launching the Blackpool Story Trail and you are part of it. Your story is part of the Story Trail's Blackpool project and it's launching this weekend. So I've actually messaged Tamer. I haven't looked at my messages, but I've, 
I thought maybe she could because it's on all weekend. It's not it's not only for sort of a, a one time slot. I don't know how busy you are, but if you can get down to the library, they're um launching the project this weekend. Uh, I can't, and unfortunately, Tamar is away this weekend. Ah, right. Okay. Never mind. That's okay. Well, for anyone listening, that's Blackpool Library. Mm. Yeah, at the Blackpool Library this weekend, the Story Trials Project is launching, and it's basically Millie was asked to be involved in it, and she, um, well, Millie, you you tell us about it. What what were you asked to do, and and what's what's well, come well, of your story? Well, yeah, well, Katie was asking, because I, I came to Blackpool during the war when my father was sent here to work uh, when I was 10 years old. So Blackpool has a lot of happy memories for me. And she wanted to know all about the different buildings and, um, and what happened during the war and everything, you know. <clears throat> it was quite an exciting time in Blackpool because, of course, it was full of Literally thousands of RAF personnel and Americans were here. They used to come in at weekends from uh, where they were out at Wharton and places like that. Uh, and so the town was absolutely buzzing all the year round. So she was asking me about different, different places that no longer exist, you know. And um, I quite enjoyed thinking about those times. Didn't she do some special things with some technology? Didn't she have to scan you? Because you're you're going to become something of an avatar that's going to be part of a that's right. of an interactive display, is that right? So what did she do? Yes. She, she came over to your she, place. Well I was in, in my armchair and she's wandering around the armchair, up and down with this gadget, whatever it was. And I said, What are you doing? And she said, You're going to be an avatar. No, an avatar. An avatar, rather. <laughs> I went, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't quite sure what it was. But uh, I've since found out. <laughs> and and was it is it going to be attached to a particular story? So has it got, did she, did she, was it the one where you were going to talk about um, the dancing? Was that the part that she asked you to talk about? Was that specifically well, something she, she had she had me talking about all sorts, actually, so I'm not sure what it, what it was going to be. Um, I would probably think it was going to be attached to the Winter Gardens. The Winter Gardens, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, well, the Empress Ballroom. Mm. Well, the, the ad says um, that people are welcome to go along from 10 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday, and you, you actually have to wear some... Three, uh, I think it's sort of some technology, sort of um, what is it? Augmented reality goggles and things like that. So when you you do little walk around parts of Blackpool, and you interact with the stories, they'll pop up in the technology, and you'll be able to see and hear people telling their stories. And Millie's going to be one of them. So it's pretty exciting. Um, yeah. And even though they're launching this weekend, and you, you unfortunately you can't make it, Millie, but you'll you'll definitely be able to engage with it at some point, and someone will take you along and, and be able well, to see well, yourself. Yeah, well, maybe they'll travel down around it to different libraries, you know, on different dates. They may do. So well, if they come to St. Anne's, maybe I'll see it there eventually. You may be able to go to 
It'll have you on another day, though. Yeah. Oh, yes. If it's mm. if it's on for more than one day. It's it's quite interesting how it came about yeah. that your podcast, Millie, led you to this chance um, encounter with this lady, Kezi, who who wanted to capture your story. All about all came coming from the podcast. Yes, it was interesting, really. I I wondered what on earth she wanted, why she wanted to see me, really, you know. But um, that was after a, bus- a very busy two weeks when we had um, the uh, people from Radio Lancashire and all sorts of people talking to me. Yeah, it was. It was your fifteen minutes of fame, wasn't it? It was, it, it, it was more than 15 minutes. One, the one for the, the one show, they were here for hours, hours and hours. And, and now, of course, when I see someone being interviewed, I think to myself, I wonder how long that took to do. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Something yeah. that only lasts five minutes on television. Yeah. How many cups of tea were consumed in the <laughs> in the production of that? Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I, I drove Tamar in, and she was on refreshments. So. Yeah. Um, now you were telling a funny story yesterday about taking Paul one of Paul's cars for a bit of a drive. <laughs> I don't know that you've told this story before. It was very amusing. So, now, Paul, you used to have a mini. Oh, it's Christopher's oh, car. Oh, was it Christopher's car? Was it right? Okay. When he, yes. When he went to the Gulf, he was away for five months. And he knew his, it, well, they were only supposed to be there three months, but it finished up five because of the Iran-Iraq war. And uh, he bought this mini. So he said to me, I'll leave you the mini and you can use it, you see. Well, I, I was used to driving our car, which was quite a bit bigger. And the first day I got into this Mini, I, I drove down to the Clifton Drive on the front, turned left a bit sharply and finished up on the pavement. So oh, I'm tearing along the pavement and also I got the clutch out, which I didn't realise. So I'm going pretty fast along the play, pavement and I couldn't come off because... The kerb is very steep there, you see. So I had to drive along until I came to the next intersection, the next road. And this elderly lady opened her gate to come out, dodged back in very quickly as my car whizzed past her nose. (laughs) And I got, this was in the lunch hour, so I I got back to work and... um, I just can understand to see there, it's... When you describe it, it sounds like something you would see in a Frank Spencer thing with uh, Some Mothers Do Have Them, doesn't it? It sounds directly out of Some Mothers Do Have Them. And the thing was, I got back to work and I parked it in the town hall car park, walked across the road to my tourist information bureau, and as I walked in, a policeman followed me in. And, you know, I nearly collapsed. I thought, oh, my God, he's followed me. He's followed me up the road. He's going to arrest me. And um, my colleague is was staring at me because she said, you went absolutely white, you know. And then he said, oh, could I have one of your free maps? <laughs> <laughs> so you dodged a bullet. I did. I couldn't speak to him. Marilyn said, oh, yes, certainly, you know, and then... When he'd gone, she said, whatever's the matter? I said, oh, I thought he was after me. <laughs> yeah. 
So did you explain the situation to her? And could she, was oh, she yes. could she quite believe what she was hearing? She said that. Oh, she, I'm sure no. she could. She, she, said, <laughs> she said, well, I don't want to lift home with you. <laughs> you, must have, you must have parked that car and got out of that car and had to compose yourself because it's quite, it's quite squ- scary when you get yourself into a situation like that. Were you flustered? <clears throat> I was a bit flustered, yes, yes. I charged across the road in front of all the traffic, you know. <laughs> you thought your luck, luck was on your side, so you just, you know, you'd keep uh, well, taking yes, chances. I wanted to distance myself from the car, yeah, altogether. <laughs> we, we, I we, didn't go that road. I didn't go that route anymore in that car, just in case anyone recognised it. I, I went. I went on a different route to go to work. I mean, I got used to it. I, and I, bet, I bet you wore a headscarf as well, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I used to originally, yeah. <laughs> Paul, what was that? You were telling a, a bit of a hair-raising tale about of your own about driving. Um, oh, God. Can you tell it? Can you tell it, relay that story? <laughs> I was, but I was in the police in Manchester, and. I'd, met my uh, wife-to-be and she was in the police in Kent. So every, what we call rest days, which were usually in, in either, probably the ones that we used to take in group in threes, I would jump in the car, drive down to Kent, spend the weekend or the, the midweek with my girlfriend, wife-to-be eventually, and then uh, drive back in time for the next shift. And this particular shift I was driving back for was I was leaving the early hours of the morning to get back for an early start, a six o'clock start in Manchester. So I set off something like probably 12 o'clock, something 12 midnight, um, in the hope of getting back to Manchester for about sort of five o'clock, maybe get an hour's sleep in the car before I started shift. So I was in, I was in half in uniform. And I got the rest of my uniform hanging up in the back of it. It was a little minivan, and uh, not a very, um, not a very good minivan either. Um, anyway, during the journey, I, for whatever reason, hadn't had enough sleep, and I nodded off at the wheel, and slowly changed lanes without realising I was doing it until I was actually under the wheels of an articulated lorry, and. Uh, as soon as the, the, the wheels of the lorry hit the, hit the van, obviously I was wide awake and re- readjusted the steering, but by that time the damage was all done down the side of the car, almost ripped the side out of the car. And uh, the, the lorry didn't even, I don't think the lorry driver even knew that, I, that it, it actually hit anything um, because that just kept going. I whizzed over to the, to the left-hand side to the hard shoulder uh, catching my breath and jumped out of the car and looked round to the other side, realised I wasn't going anywhere and just in time to see a police car pull up behind me and one of the traffic uh, motorway patrol cars. And uh, I thought, oh, jeez, I'm going to be in trouble now. And uh, bear in mind, at, at that time, I'd probably got 18 months servicing as a police officer, so I was still on a probationary period as a police officer. And uh, the... Uh, this very much older than I 
police officer came out of his, his uh, car, an old rover, and uh, walked up to me and he went, oh my goodness, he said, uh, where are you from? So I said, uh, I said, I'm a police officer in Manchester, I'm just on my way back to get back for shift. I said, yeah. He said, he said, you're lucky you're walking. He said, that, that, he said, I thought when I saw you going under that truck, he said, I thought you were going to be crushed. He said, uh, he said, how oh, you've come out of the car like that without without a scratch? He said, I don't know. So he said, but your car's are right off. You're not going anywhere in that. So I said, no. He said, I'll get a pickup to pick it up. So I said, okay. He said, so what, what are you doing now? I said, well, I, said, I don't know. I said, I'm supposed to be on shift. I said, I'm going to have to get in touch with them and tell them. He said, hang on a minute. He said, go, sit in, go and sit in my car. So get your bags. So get your bags. He said, and get your tunic. Because my tunic was hanging up at the back. So get your bags and your tunic. He said, put it in the back of the car. So I said, okay, so I put them in the back. And he was having a look around my car and I got sort of put my stuff in his car. And then he came back to me and says, come on, he said, get in, he said, get in the front seat. So I, I jumped in and then he started driving up the motorway. So he said, they're, they're picking up. He said, they're going to pick up your uh, your van. He said, he said, but he said, it's going to be a write-off. He said, so he said, we'll get details to you about that. So I'm thinking he's taking me to the next service station on the motorway but we drove past the next service station oh the police station <laughs> yeah. no i don't think he was taking me to the police station <laughs> uh, so he said i said where are we going he said he said oh, it was about it was it was about 20 past one in the morning i think we were just north of watford or something like that and uh he said i said it's about 20 past one he said i should just about do it so i said do what he said, "I'm taking you. I'm taking you back to your to your police station." He said, and uh, he said, "Hopefully, I'll get back by six down here." And we set off on the motorway, and he was a hundred miles an hour all the way up the motorway. And uh, we, he got me to he got me to my my police station in Stratford in Manchester. Dropped me off, did an about turn, and just as I was going into the shift to start my shift, um, there was a phone call came through. He said, "There's a phone call for you," and I picked it up, and this guy said. Just signing off now. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> oh, so, what? That guy must have been flying going back, I tell you. So he what? Now, do, do you think you could get away with doing something like that today? Not a chance. Not a chance. No, no. There's a, there was a different era. It was a completely different world then. Um, a lot of not, necess not necessarily... A better world in all places, in all ways, but it was certainly, um, there was a very, a very, that mother said, a very strong camaraderie then in those days between police, policemen and police forces. And uh, I'm sure he'd made it all clear. I mean, he didn't tell me at the time, but I'm sure he'd made it all clear with his bosses that he was going to run me up. And uh, certainly saved me making some very embarrassing exp explanations of why I wasn't going to be on shift that morning. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Did you ever get an opportunity in your career to pay it forward in any way? Uh, to Not to him, in search, but to pay it forward, yes. Um, I remember um, coming across two, uh, two guys from the, uh, from the army when I, was, when I actually transferred eventually down to Kent. And there were two guys um, thumbing the lift um, through where I was working at the time, through uh, on what was the 
it, what was the eight would be the A two in um, in Kent running through uh, a little village called Raynham, and these two guys were thumbing a lift, and and I say thumbing a lift, they were running. Actually, they were in uniform and they were running and they were thumbing and lifting as they were going. And and I pulled up and stopped and said, uh, what's up, guys? What's the, what's the hurry? And uh, they said, oh, guys, if we don't get back to camp um, by, I think it was by 4 a.m., if we don't get back to camp by 4 a.m., um, we'll, be, we'll be considered AWOL and that will be, we'll, we'll finish up in the glass house. So... I said, wait, where are you going to? And it was they were down at Dover Barracks. And that was about probably 35, 40 miles from where I was. Um, so, um, and at the time I was I was actually uh, a detective. I was night duty detective. Um, so I told them to jump in and I whizzed them down, down uh, all the way down to the barracks down in Dover. And uh, they got they got in before 4, 4 a.m. So I suppose, in a way, I paid it back then, that day. They, they didn't have to go to the glass house. <laughs> well, you paid it. You definitely paid it forward. Did you have it in the back of your mind, that bit of kindness I that was, I, you know, offered to you? And you thought... Yeah, I did. Yeah. I'll tell, tell you another one as well. This was, this was, a, this was a strange one. I, actually, I was with, I was with Liz then, um, driving down to back to Kent um I think I think it might have been in the same minivan um and basically I got a leak on the on the carburetor of, of the car so basically it was using petrol like nobody's business it was leaking petrol and I didn't realize it was leaking petrol but I kept I ran out of petrol twice on the journey down and uh, so the first time we bought petrol Second time, I'm coming through, um, I think we were actually, whereabouts were we now? I think it was Dartford, something like that. Um, it was, it was just before we went to, got into the Dartford tunnel and uh, I'd run out of petrol again. But this time I got no money. And this, this, is, this is long before you had cards and things like this. This was, this was cash only days. So I'd run out of cash got no petrol and um by pure chance we were about maybe less than less than 400 meters from a police station so i walked into this police station and said i'm really sorry I, um i've got myself in a fix here i'm a police officer serving in manchester i said i've um i've run out of petrol i said well and he went oh really this was a sergeant standing behind, standing behind the counter and he was like oh really so I said, I said, yeah, I said, I said, and I've run out of money as well. And he went, oh, really? So, <laughs> so it, it looked at me and I could see this, that there was, there was all sorts of things going through his head. And I said, no, I've got my girlfriend with me and she's a policewoman in Kent. And I said, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get a get. And he went, so you could do with some money then? So I said, yeah, I said that's really. But I don't know. How, I don't know how I can get any at this time of night. And, and and he said, no. He said I don't know either. He said unless I give you some. <laughs> so I said, oh, I said, 
I said, "Could you? Would you do that?" And he went, "Well, yeah." He said, "I don't think I've got an option, have I?" He said, "I can't. I can't leave. A, I can't leave a colleague without any money and no petrol." He said, "So I'll give you some." So I'm the understanding that on your way back to Manchester, you drop in and you pay me back. So I said, "I will do. No, I promise you, I will do." He said, "You don't need to promise." He said, "I've got your registration number." <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I did I did drop him on the way back and paid him back. He, he gave me a ten pound note. I remember because I hadn't seen a ten pound note for ages. That was <laughs> ten pound notes weren't a common thing in my in my my wallet at the time. Policemen <laughs> so, weren't very well paid in those days. Oh god, no, no, no policemen weren't very well paid, especially juniors. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was another occasion where it, they helped me out. Uh, well, the acts of, random acts of kindness have a um, a way of making the world a better place, really, don't they? Oh, and they if, do. And if we all had they that do. little bit of paying things forward, you know, there would be a whole lot better as well on top. So, um, Millie, can you remember or recall in, in your life um, a random act of kindness or, or something that made you is really sort of stands out for you oh gosh there's so many really so many acts of kindness especially after my mother died some people were some people weren't kind at all like the headmistress of my school for one but um lots of people were very kind very kind i, I was just talking to paul about um soon after my mother died uh I went to be confirmed. Now, my brother and I were, my mother wanted us both confirmed, you see. So we we went to these lessons. And then, of course, in the meantime, she died. Well, my brother was 16 and he turned right against church and everything. And no, I'm not going to do it. So uh, I was only 12 at the time. So I thought, no, I, I better do this because this is what mum wanted. Well, unfortunately, my dress was only half made. And this lady came forward, who we didn't really know at all. She just happened to be a neighbour, you know. And she just said, um, I'll finish that dress for you. And she finished the dress. The only thing was, she insisted that I wore a black belt with it. White silk dress with a black belt, you know, because I was in mourning, you see. And, um, but then I did go to the confirmation, so that was all right. Unfortunately, my father had pneumonia at the time. So nobody went with me. <laughs> it was something on my own, but it was so kind of her because I thought, I'm not even going to have a dress to go in, you know, and it was very important in those days to have your white dress. Mm. But that's one of many, many people that didn't know me at all, you know, that I, I'm not sure how she found out that her, the dress was only half made, possibly because my mother had been talking to her beforehand, maybe, you know, before she was taken ill. It's a small gesture, but you remember it vividly. Oh, right? gosh, yeah, I do. And, and Never wore the dress again, of course. This is the thing about something that can be fairly insignificant for one person, but it really sticks in a person's memory when when a person has taken yeah. the time to do something for them. Yeah. And you know, Marjorie, Marjorie Colburn became my 
dearest friend, and we were friends for many years until she died a couple of years ago. And um, Marjorie wasn't a particular friend of mine at school. I didn't know her very well. Um, and because she lived in a different part of the town, you know, uh, so we didn't see each other after school. Well, she went home and was telling her mother about this girl whose mother had died and hated having to stay to school dinners and whatnot. The next thing was my, uh, she brought a letter to school, sealed up in an envelope. You've got to give this to your father. Well, my dad opened this letter and it was from her mother, Jessie, uh, who said, uh, would it be all right if, would she allow his daughter to come home with Marjorie and have her lunches every day? Uh, and there wouldn't be any charge. Well, of course, my father insisted on at least giving her the dinner money he would have paid school, you know. Mm. Uh, and she did that until I left school. Five days a week, I went home with Marjorie at lunchtime. And that's how Marjorie and I became best friends for the rest of our lives. Mm. Through kindness. And that was during the, during the war as well. So, mm. she, But she always had us a cook. I cook lunch always, yeah. I think she managed it because because she and her sister were running this what used to be a mother's boarding house, and they had they were full of RAF personnel, so they got the rations for the RAF personnel, and I think she used to divert some of them to these two schoolgirls every day. Because <laughs> <laughs> we always got a good dinner. So, random act of kindness punctuated by theft. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dealing in the black market. <laughs> well, you know... Well, they, say, they, they, they say even even Al Capone had a soft side. <laughs> but, and, and Jessie was such a lovely, gentle woman. She really was, you know. <laughs> and she treated me like her own daughter. Mm. Well, you, you've had some, you, we did, you know, have a, a focus and a spotlight on your friendships with people over the years and in an earlier episode, didn't we? Marjorie's daughter, Annette. Yeah, oh yes, Paul used to have a crush on Annette. Oh really? <laughs> now, are we, are we putting this Yeah, out? I did actually, yeah. <laughs> I did. Well, well it's funny because... Annette is an avid listener of the podcast, so I wonder, I'm going to be interested to find her reaction to, to this news. She probably already she knew She probably that. never knew, you know. Really? No, she, no. the thing was, she was, a, she was a, just a, exactly a year older than Paul, and but she was Miss Premium Bond at one time. She was very, very beautiful. She, really. was, a, she was, she was a lovely girl. But lovely nature as well. Yeah, lovely girl. Couldn't wait till I got outside Wondering what the world be like I knew I had to change my mind Didn't realize it would happen oh so soon Oh so soon But I see the world so different Surrounded by my favorite view and I need 
Came home to you.